Welcome to another episode of ANC, Anarchist News Corporation, special edition again. Uh, last time we rocked the Labor Day edition, tonight we're going to be rocking the Remembering 9-11 uh, edition, uh, since we're right on the eve of the 19th anniversary of 9-11. Our <laughs> almost twenty. terror... Uh, holiday, maybe? Yeah, it was definitely a terror and mayhem and chaos on all, all fronts and levels. And, yeah, it was a day like, I think, if you were alive at that time, it was pretty... Yeah, I remember, I remember I was driving to work and I called my parents on my dad's side. And when the planes flew into the building, or supposedly did, or whatever, but I called them, it was like 8.30 in the morning, and nothing's been the same since, really. Yeah, I remember I was in bed, and my mom actually came down and... Just crazy, like told me the news and like woke me up, and I was just like, man, like crazy. And then all day, just like you know, seeing people I knew at the time and talking to them about it, and you know, just everybody was just, you know, just kind of going through it, you know, and it was interesting time <laughs> to be alive, you know, like watching people jump off the buildings and stuff, and. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it crazy. Well, well and the, an interesting thing for me, actually, is uh, I have relatives uh, in New Jersey and in Brooklyn. And uh, my cousin actually was on a pretty high level of the World Trade Center when it got hit. and was able to escape. And she was also working at the World Trade Center when it was uh, bombed the first time, too. Oh, wow. Yeah, so she was, like, there both times when it was wow. hit and, like, is alive. She actually came and, her, her mother and her, like, came and stayed a few years after 9-11. Came to our house and stayed. Has she been back? What's that? Has she been back yeah, after she... two times of terror? I don't know. <laughs> so, at work... That's a crappy day at work, man. Yeah, but she got out and uh, was alive. So, it was, yeah, Julie. Her name was Julie. And, uh, yeah, her, her mother, like, they came and stayed at our house, like, a few years after it. And it was really cool. Yeah, so, I mean, everybody's got their stories about it, you know, if they were alive. But, I mean, nevertheless, I just think that uh, tonight we just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things uh, inconsistencies within the 9-11 that I just feel like need to be brought to light to like the general populace of people, you know, uh, for them to make decisions. Like what? Well, I mean, I just feel that, you know, as is, you know, some of the conspiracy theorists, you know, portray that, you know, it was an inside job. You know, the Alex Jones perspective of it was an inside job and I just think that when you look at it, uh, 
I look at it from the perspective that this is an occult ritual on the highest level uh, because I believe that we're dealing with an occult uh, government. I mean, it's like, look at how Washington, D.C. was created. It was created using occult symbols and architecture, and I mean, it was, it was a cult, you know? And when I look at the two towers, it's symbolic to me, once again, I know people maybe don't want to hear about this, but the Hegelian dialectic. You have two towers. What do you do when you bring the two towers into friction or chaos or <laughs> destruction? You know, you get synthesis. And to me, like, George, you know, W. Bush was president at the time. His father, who was president before him, said, like, we're going to bring about a new world order. And to me, I believe that the new world order began on 9-11. You know, it was really things were implemented in the place there was, like, uh, Nazi uh, laws passed under George uh, Bush and, you know, leading to... W. Yeah, George huh? W. Bush, uh, you know, leading to tyrannical rule uh, in America. You know, and this was the Republican Party at the time. Don't forget. You know, everybody wants to look so down upon the, the Democratic people for being corrupt. You know, like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and the stuff that he passed and stuff. But it's like, it, it wasn't any worse than the tyrannical rule of George W. Bush, you know, during the 9-11 attacks, which I believe that he knew about. And I believe that this is a psychological mind fuck on the people okay. when they gave uh, word to George W. Bush he just so happened to inconspicuously be at a uh, uh, school uh, reading a book to young children uh-huh. like I mean it does sound like his setup. it just does it, see, it, it looks too good you know it's like oh look at, he would never know anything about He's such a good person. He's a book reader, you know, to young children. You know, my whole point of view is that I really don't even believe that he was even reading the book. I just think that they just had a set uh-huh. already set up, and he was in the position of looking like he was, but he wasn't actually reading anything. Uh-huh. anything. I mean, I don't even think George W. Bush could read, to be perfectly uh-huh. honest with you. I don't. He didn't pass third grade. How he got Dude, he's just a freaking. It was just who he was, dude. See, it's like, and this goes back in the Mormonism, where Mormons are so into like, uh, you know, lineage and stuff like that. Where it's like, I, I believe it's in uh, Salt Lake City Mormon Temple, where they have the lineage of Joseph Smith, and they show all the people that are related to Joseph Smith, and like. Dick Cheney is related to George W. Bush and is related to Barack Obama and is related to Dracula and is related to Celine Dion and like Madonna and Hugh Hefner. I mean, they they show all of these connections, like you know, as like making Joseph Smith out to be like he's like he's somebody special, you know, like because he's related to all these people, you know, and so to me, it's like it's all the same people who are conspiring. Uh, you know, in uh, bringing about the New World Order, you know, is what really happened to me. And I think that if the occult insiders within the government who know 
all of the ins and outs of how these ritualistic things work, you know, would say that, like, oh, yeah, dude, that was a symbol, dude, of, like, the two sides, like, crumbling down together to create what they have now is just one pillar, you know, which is the synthesis tower, dude. And, you know, in the spot at ground zero, you know? Like, it's just, it's the synthesis tower of, like, New World Order. Like, mm. it is, like, upon us now, you know? Mm. But see, they had to, like, do this ritual of death, you know, of sacrifice. And, like, you know, I personally believe that it's even so intricately designed, the plan of the New World Order, where it's, like, even the construction of the World Trade Center towers were already destined to be some sort of a, you know, that's a, an appointed time. They were going to bring those down as, a, you know, a physical manifestation of occult power and, you know, bringing about the New World Order, you know? Yeah. And I really think that that, to me, is equated potentially scripturally in the Book of Revelation as, like, I think the beast having its, getting its hour of power, you know, because unfortunately, if the scriptures be true, then, unfortunately, whether we like it or not, like, we're going to be under a tyrannical beast, uh, mark of the beast enforced system where it's, we're going to be under their control, you know, and there's not anything we can do about it. That's where I think, like, maybe, potentially that was taking place at 9-11, kind of the beginnings of the New World Order coming into power. You mean the collective whole of our country is going to be under tyrannical rule? Yeah. And I think that's already manifested itself, like with what happened with George W. Bush, you know, where it's like he was a part of it. Like he knew what was happening. Dick Cheney knew what was happening, what it all meant, you know, and the significance of it probably. And, you know, and they just like spun this story that was uh, Islamic people, you know, <laughs> that were behind it. You know, it's just so convenient. It's like it's the spin, you know, like George, you know, Bush being at the classroom with the kids. You know, it's yeah. like they have to have all of their yeah. ducks in a row of how they're going to, you know, appease us, you know, into believing their lie. You know. I can almost remember that scene of him reading a book. So it's iconic, kids. dude. It's like an iconic yeah. image, you know, that we all remember. You know, it's like, oh, here was George W. Bush, and yeah. he's oh, reading a book to the kids, and he's getting the news right now, and, you know, and, oh, it's a sad day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just totally like Hollywood style you know really is like what it is <laughs> I feel like yeah so um, I think that uh, it's it's a pretty crazy thing you know what took place ultimately and I think that if our government was in any way affiliated with that you know, I think that, you know, we should never support, mm-hmm. we should never support the government ever again. Uh-huh. I mean, if any of this be true, I mean, I think when you look at it, when you look 
as the building's going down, I mean, it really does look like it's demolition style. I mean, that's just what I stress to people, and it's like, if there's any demolition, you know, like, took place, you know, on those buildings, and they made it look like it was planes that took them down, you know, I think that, uh, that's bad, you know, it's like, so, people shouldn't support the government any longer, they shouldn't, like, pay taxes, they shouldn't fucking do nothing, dude, they should just rebel and just be like, you know what, fuck you, what? I'm not, I'm not supporting you, it's like, why? Motherfuckers. Yeah, it's like, look what you did. I mean, they, once again, if we're going to give any credibility to the Constitution Declaration of Independence anymore, it's like, that to me is the prime example of when it says uh, government ever becomes destructive against its own people, that people need to rise up and abolish it. It's clearly stated in the Declaration of Independence. And if that is not the government becoming destructive against its own people. I don't care if it's an occult ritual or well, not. Like, it's destructive against its own people. People were they're jumping from the building to their deaths well, because of the fire of, like, how the building was, like... Engulfed in flame. Flames by supercharge. Like, explosions, you know? Uh, like, yeah, it went all the way up. Progressively up the fours, dude, you know, two, two where the planes hit, you know, to make it look like it was the planes that were, the plane hitting the buildings were bringing them down, but it was like, that wasn't once again, it was, uh, it was a sham, dude, it was a scam, it was, <laughs> you know, I have to say, dude, and then it's like, and then to top it all off, at the end of the day, all of a sudden, like, building number seven, like, it goes down, it's like, isn't that just a little odd, it's just, to me, that was just an insult to the American people's intelligence. It was like the final insult. You know? So like, what happened? Well, like at the end of the day, building number seven, like right around that area, it just like went down. Huh? Like this huge ass building just went down out of nowhere and people were like, uh, like huh? no plane hit that building. It was just an insult to the American oh. people's intelligence, I believe. I, I believe that it's the, the psychotic uh, megalomania way of those people in power. It's like, it's George W. Bush, it's Dick Cheney, it's their whole, like, to me, it was their whole vibe. Like, they're totally capable of just, they probably thought it was funny and joked amongst themselves about, you know, pulling that off. But pulling off that inside job and insulting the American people's intelligence while they did it, you know, like, with all their tactics of how they were going to strategically deceive the American people. Through mainstream media outlets. I'm sorry, dude. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, what else do you want to call it? Okay. And the building number seven to me, that was, I mean, looking back now, I mean, at the time, of course, everybody was like smoke screened out, you know, like we didn't know nothing at that time, you know, really. I mean, it's like, how do you even grasp the try to conceive something of that nature you know you're in shock you're in, you're traumatized and that's exactly what they wanted to do you know i think it was all uh, a way of just like shattering us you know psychologically you know because it's just how everything was all interconnected at that time you know like we still were pretty technologically advanced at that time and for people to be seeing all that that traumatizing stuff definitely had a, like a lasting effect. Like, like I said, my I have relatives that live in Brooklyn uh, and in New Jersey, 
And my cousin in New Jersey, like, uh, she worked in a building, I don't know if it was, I think it was in Trenton, where you can see, like, the New York City skyline from there. And she saw from her building where she works in Trenton, New Jersey, I think it is, uh, or, no, I don't think it's Trenton, New Jersey, I think it's, uh, what is that? What is the, I can't think of the, where you fly into there, Newark, yeah, I think she works in Newark, actually, but she could see from uh, wherever she worked, she could see the planes hit the World Trade Centers and them going down, like, she saw it, like, perfectly clear as day, like, I, I can't even imagine, like, how traumatizing that would have been for her, mm. you know, to see it all going down, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like first like, hand, like live and everything. I can imagine be thinking, what in the heck do I do? What in the heck do I do? Well, it's just seen. I mean, it's normally, I mean, she probably every day at work, she like looks out that, her, that window and she looks at the New York City uh, skyline, you know? And, you know, it's just another day of seeing a normal skyline. And the next thing you know, it's like, it's not normal Whoa. at all. It's like, what the fuck is that? Dude, World Trade Center. Like, Whoa. planes just hit those, you know, it's just and them watching them go. I can't even imagine that, dude. Like, how that would, that definitely would have, like, some kind of a traumatizing effect yeah. for the rest of your life, dude. It's like getting concussed or something, really. Yeah. <laughs> you know? In a way, it is. I think so. Kind of, I mean, but, yeah, I just don't, I don't know, man, it's a pretty, pretty hard pill to swallow if all this be true, I mean, if, if what we're really saying tonight, I mean, I'm not even being conspiratorial, I'm just merely bringing out stuff, yeah. inconsistencies that I feel need to be addressed to the populace for people to see what we're really dealing with here. The collective whole. The collective whole. For huh? them to see. Once again, that's one of our terminologies here on huh? <laughs> ANC is collective whole. We use that to represent you know, basically all the normal people, you know, the uh -huh. majority of people, the average people, the common people. Maybe you can say the 99%, I don't know. Either. I don't care because I'm for sure not normal. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, then it goes into, like, well, what is, what is normal? We don't know what normal is. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, I go to bed and wake up every day and uh, feel normal. I don't feel normal. <laughs> Which happens on the occasion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think for the most part, I consider us pretty normal guys. You know, we're just uh, you know, doing a podcast about uh, bringing to light anarchism, you know, and I think that being an anarchist or promoting anarchism uh, definitely has some could take some issues with what happened on 9-11. You know, to me, that's like a complete violation of my liberty. Or is it? Because we live here in Washington State. It's like, yeah, I mean, we're, we're connected to all the other states through the United States. But, I mean, I have to say, like, Washington State is, like, 
not even close to like New York City, dude. I mean, it's yeah, it's eons of cultures away from each other, you know. Like, any other state for that matter? Yeah, I know. So I mean, even though they did this to the technically the United States, it's like really they did it to New York City, dude. You know, they did it to the state of New York. You know, and Washington, D.C., like the District of Columbia, where they did all these other weird things that happened, you know what I mean? That I feel was, you know, this is all interconnected, you know, to the same conspiracy, potentially, you know, to to deceive, greatly deceive and traumatize the American people into submission so they could enforce their, their new world order. I don't know what more to say. It just to me, it just—it's <laughs> really looking back in hindsight now. That's to me a very valid perspective to have in regards to this. Civil rights plays to the new world order, and they have no choice. Well, let's look at it. I mean, let's look at the last twenty years. I mean, we have uh, we have new world order beginning pretty much 20 years ago uh, through George Bush uh, W. Bush administration uh, Republican Party uh, and then uh, the Hegelian dialectic switches to the other side they get to have their thing for uh, 8 years you know under Barack Obama now we're mm. under Trump now we're under civil war essentially uh <laughs> Uh, we're really, they're really, the Hegelian dialectic is really hard at work right now uh, within the United States. There's a lot of friction. A lot of friction, and uh, but a lot of power moves from both sides. And see, that's what they want to do. Barack Obama and George W. Bush, they're not, they're the same thing. But see, they once again, it's all just dog and pony show, uh, smoking mirrors, like, oh, I'm taking this side, you take this side. Of the Hegelian dialectic, and we're gonna rub these two sides up together, and we're gonna get our new world order, you know, our synthesis for the new world order. <coughs> you know, but to me, excuse me, but to me, it's the same. We've we've seen the same people at work, working behind the scenes, you know, for the last twenty years at least, you know. Obviously, it's longer than that. I mean, well, we kind of have had a lineage of well, Yeah, and they're all interrelated, and that's what we saw through like the Mormon, uh, the Mormon information that we have, you know, with Joseph Smith and his connections to all these people, proving that they're all interconnected. So it's like, yeah, it's the same people that have been promoting the same agendas. But I don't even think that they're promoting their agendas. They're promoting agendas of other people that control them, you know? It's all, like, uh, incremental and compartmentalized uh, units of control, you know, that make up how everything functions, you know, within, within the system, you know, within society and So, I don't know, did you want to maybe talk about anything else other than, other than this, or? Um, yeah. We're doing uh, good on time, so. Um, 
keep talking about uh, 9-11, kind of bringing some more stuff to light, or we could maybe transition into something else. We'll transition into this. I'm a disabled American, and I can only live in certain situations, and... Right now, I'm in a situation that I can live in, but it's not ideal, and I can't seem to find anything ideal. So, I'm wondering if there's one more gonna build places to live for kinds of people like me. So like assisted uh, assisted care facilities for kind of assisted you need some stuff done but like your basic stuff you need laundry and Self showering or something and meals cooked. Yeah. If you just had those three things in the facility, you could house very much in need disabled Americans. Well, I mean. There's people out there that are donating stuff to fund these things, you know, to help. Um, I'd like to start a foundation or a company or some of the nature. Like a non-profit type organization or something? Yeah, non-profit to where... They can use their resources to... Build... Build yeah. a facility or something. I think that's a great idea, Riley. I'm, I'm for that. I'm all for it, man. Because uh, really, you don't need... I don't need education itself. I am not worried about that anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm just worried about living and being comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I've done a pretty good job of that so far, but it's a constant battle. Yeah. Well, yeah, well who knows what the future holds, man. I mean, yeah, I'm hoping for some kind of a, you know, anarchist kind of Territory, you know, that's what my, I'm hoping for. That's my hope. Light at the end of the tunnel of all this, you know, tyrannical. Uh, like a revolution or what? I don't even think we need a revolution. We just need the people, I think, to, uh, you know, realize, like, what's been going on, what is still continuing to go on. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, like, Donald Trump, you know, and Joe Biden, they're all in, I mean, Joe Biden was the vice president of Barack Obama's administration for four, you know, eight years, eight years you know, and uh, so I 
just, I mean, it's, he's obviously under the control of the same people that Barack Obama was taking his orders from, you know? And yeah. Same wiener he was. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like, so it's just. Some, some white wakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, then that also, speaking of white, white wakes, uh, you know, is. Michelle Obama, a transgender man. Did we seriously have, like, potentially, like, two gay guys in running the country for eight years? Uh-huh. Like, is the question, you know, like, on that one. I mean, uh-huh. I don't know. I mean, there's uh-huh. evidence that maybe support that, but uh, I don't really know for sure. But, yeah, it's just some really... Some freaky stuff going on in Congress. I've never heard that before, but funny. Uh? Well, we know Barack Obama was a homosexual. Oh, really? Yeah, he's a homosexual uh, cokehead, dude. Yeah, I mean. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, so I mean, he, it would not surprise me. And then once again, they spin the story that like it's Michelle's kids, like she actually conceived them, but like, you know, did she really, or is it just too? Uh, children that they adopted as like homosexual gay lovers, you know, like <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's I don't really know. I don't have any proof of this stuff, but it's just speculation, you know, like that. You know, that's stuff that's going around. You know, I mean, it, it, to me, I don't really care. It's not none of my business, but to me, it's a little bit weird to think about that kind of a possibility. Once again, you know, it's like just it's a little weird to think that was George W. Bush. And Dick Cheney, like, conspiring against the American people, uh, knew about what, I believe, the United States military industrial complex did uh, at 9-11. You know, I think it was the United States military industrial complex that precisely flew those planes into those exact precise spots of the building because it was already pre-planned in probably very top-secret, high-ranking, security-clearance, military-industrial-complex bases, dude, of the United States of America. That, to me, seems more like a plausible way of interpreting planes. It's hard to fly those planes, maybe in those buildings, as precisely as they did. I don't know, technically, if Muslims are that smart enough to do that. Like, at least these Muslims, like, the way they were portrayed, like, as, like, kind of ruffians, you know, like, well, maybe they, not the most smartest, and I'm not trying to downgrade Islamic people here and their intelligence, the but... American pilots, weren't they forced to do a gunpoint or something? Well, I just think they flew, they just flew the planes, and there was nobody even on the planes, dude. Like, that's what I think. I think they were just some kind of, you know, just, like... Uh, you know, planes that were maybe used up uh, commercial jet airliners, you know, that like, weren't being used anymore. Like, oh, let's just take these ones and, you know, fly them into the buildings, you know. It's like, or maybe they took up old, uh, you know, Air Force planes or, you know, stuff like that. I don't really know what, it's, once again, it's like, it's a speculation, but it's like, to me, like, the way these guys were portrayed in, you know, the, the news reports was very much... Like, it made these guys look like the hijackers. Like, they, they weren't maybe that smart enough to have fl- flown these planes in the, precisely into the buildings like they did. I think it was more like it took more tactical uh, maneuvering and strategic uh, 
you know, it's just... The ability to fly a plane, uh, maybe? Well, f- first of all, yeah, uh, to fly that kind of commercial jet airliner sized plane, you know, yeah. into buildings and, and like... And for any time. It just, yeah, it just seems a little bit far-fetched to me, I have to be. It's just another one of the inconsistencies within the reports. You know, I think that we could potentially factor in, um, you know, I don't know. To me, it's just, I think it's possible that you could look at it from that perspective, you know. I don't know. Um, once again, it's just one of the things to me that were a little bit odd. And, uh, you know, I think could be brought to light once again. Just like Michelle Obama's gender, <laughs> you know, like... I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a big consistency here. Who is he? Who is he? <laughs> Who is he? <laughs> is he she? <laughs> is, is, was she uh, he is a question. Uh, uh, is she a he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're sorry. I just... People do it to themselves, you know. They go out there looking like freaks, playing freak roles. It's just like sometimes it's just people figure it out, you know. Like yeah. he's just a straight freak. Michelle Obama's a freak. Michelle yeah. Obama's a freak, getting freaky, you know. Like, like what is this place? You know, it's like go from like two gay lovers to like Donald Trump and coronavirus yeah. to some guy who like didn't even know how to read, you know, like. Running the country, oh, couldn't even talk. Trump. Oh, George W. Bush. Oh, just all these people God. within the last twenty years are just—they're all freaks, man. Donald Trump's a freak, dude. Like, don't you think? God, but he keeps his. There's a dignity about his freakage. Yes, I wouldn't even call dignity. <laughs> of course, I don't think we can dignify him in any way. Uh-huh. Yeah, what, what would be the terminology that you would classify him? Um, well, he knows how to talk. Yeah, he's got a way with words, right? He's got that New York Bronx kind of just, like, no messing around kind of, Indeed. you know, you know, this tough guy. Yeah. Mentality, yeah, this guy be... Gotta be tough, you know, like New York, you know, definitely. So, yeah, I think that he's uh, playing his role, you know, of course. <laughs> Very well, well, he knows how to work the people. Yeah, he's no, he knows how to work the Republicans for sure. I mean, that's obvious. You know, he's working them. Uh, he's got them in his his grasps, you know, for sure. They're, the Republicans are all for, like, Donald Trump. Democrats, they don't like him. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's pretty safe to say on that. (laughs) I think you're right. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, it's funny, you know, watching it all reality. Um, But we'll see what happens, man. I don't don't know. I think all this stuff is is, uh, fascinating, kind of, like bringing it to light. All this stuff, touching base on it. Uh, it's just once again, I, th- I think it's a uh, actually it's a really good strategic uh, way of promoting anarchism, kind of actually, because it's like, hey, you know, people who are part of that scene, you know, of like 
Republicans and Democrats, they can kind of see the light through anarchist news corporations broadcasts that, you know, we're promoting a different kind of news um, and a different kind of perspective and uh, I think it's valid. I think it's a valid. Indeed. Yeah, and one of the things that I actually like to mention too is like, I don't even really, at, at our news corporation, I don't really don't even want to talk about what's going on in the you know, the whole election, kind of. We're getting close to, like, election time, so it's like, I mean, I don't know, do we need to touch base? Do people want us to talk about, kind of cover that, or... They, do are they expecting need, us to cover it? need more covers? Yeah, I know, exactly. They need more covers than already exists. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was like, uh, yeah, it's already ad nauseum already, huh? as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> So. Nauseum. What's that? Nauseum. Yeah, it's nause it's nauseating like watching what? like, you know, how in depth they go with all this stuff. You know, really like these like uh Foxy Nudes and uh the Communist News Network, CNN. It really just like it's just the constant just you know, it's like constantly getting after it, you know, just Always something to, you know, pick apart. I like Foxy News, though. They're good sports. I, I, I agree. That's actually a good point. Like, uh-huh. Out of the two, I feel like the most respectable news organization is the Foxy News. Um, and I think they have better-looking uh, anchor women that would be uh, nice in nudes, <laughs> potentially. They're um, good sports. Yeah, they just have a good, you know, once again, they promote the patriarchal, you know, they promote the moral, you know, and, and they promote, uh, you know, all the positive things, you know, and, you know, they, they take it all in stride, you know, all of the stuff that is, you know, being thrown at them by the left, you know, all the hate, the hate speech and stuff, and we were just really classless on the part of the, the demon craps. <laughs> you know, I feel like, unfortunately, it's just, you just have to say, you know, and obviously I'm not biased. I've never voted in my life. Um, I've been an anarchist all my life. Um, and, you know, so it's just one of those things for me. I've just never had much faith in the government. So have these spiked these anarchist territories to be run if there's no government or uh, well that's the thing right statute of control or whatever that's a good point and like my my reasoning for that uh, is really just people gotta enact it you know through the democratic process gotta put it on ballots it's gotta get on a ballot in order to, like people want it just like legalizing marijuana you know it's like this was something that was federally illegal you know something that you know wasn't even supposed to be able to be done because of that you know and somehow we got you know through some work through some loopholes or something on it you know where we were able to you know, get by you know and do it you know so I think it's gonna be a similar kind of situation you know, with, like, getting people here in Washington State or somewhere else, like Oregon or maybe even California. Uh, I don't know. 
somewhere along the west coast would be cool though I think you know to annex a, a certain area out you know for like an anarchist kind of thing I think that'd be cool and I think a lot of people would actually be really into that idea I think it's so, the cutting edge this is the future man Washington State is cutting edge and is the future and come here to join the anarchists yeah, and, you know, I think that we can win this war through uh, voting it in, like we did marijuana. It's a similar kind of process. You know, it's just, and it's the same kind of thing. It's the whole marijuana legalization was pure rebellion against the government. Um, and for all of the you know, decriminalizing marijuana, you know, is really what it is. And, you know, I think that that was awesome. We haven't. We just began, you know, here in Washington State. I feel like to get to get into a more freer place. I think we're already a pretty free place, but you know, that's what yeah. I'm saying about nine eleven. Like it really didn't. I don't feel like did it really affect us here. And kind of like to a degree, yeah, I did. On about how Washington is so liberal and stuff, but. As far as I'm concerned, shit is good. I'm just chilling. Yeah. I'm not forced to do anything I don't want to do. Yep. I'm just chilling. You're able to live your life exactly how you want to live it. That's yeah. being free. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what we need to do, but... So I don't... So... Washington State is already pretty free. It is, but it's like we need. But see, when we see things like nine eleven, and we see things like coronavirus, and we see things like all of the the dissension between the government, you know, like within the government, you know, it just it doesn't paint a very positive picture for the future. Um, that we're gonna be. This we have to live this way in this free for you know as long as we think you know we don't really know it's kind of there's all these things that are factoring in like B system new world order that could potentially be um, you know hampering the freedom that you're enjoying right now mm-hmm. we see these things that once again it's just it's potential it's a potentiality it's not something that we're saying is going to happen necessarily we're saying it's a p- possibility. Just like, you know, all of the things that we brought up about 9-11, you know, tonight. is just, it's just inconsistencies that seem like worthy of bringing to people's attention. That's all it is, man. You know? So. Welcome to another episode of ANC, Anarchist News Corporation. And first of all, we'd like to start off our podcast by apologizing. Uh, We were unable to access our account for the last 11 days, so we have not been able to uh, release any uh, current episodes. By no one's fault but their own. Yeah, unfortunately, we uh, made a little error of judgment uh, in regards to the iPad uh, that we use, and, <laughs> and 
thought that our account had been deleted, actually, and we were kind of trying to figure out um, like what exactly the problem was. We thought that. So we're, of course, stoked now that we have our episodes back for all of you. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think, the thing was, is that everybody was still able to access except us. That's what was so <laughs> ironic about the whole situation, the ordeal. Uh-huh. For the last 11 days, we literally thought that, like, we were under the impression that we got censored. Uh, that somebody had just, like, hacked into our, uh, you know, broadcasting booth and just deleted everything. We didn't really know what to think, and we were just kind of a little bit dumbfounded and baffled about the situation, but contacted Anchor, and uh, they helped us uh, figure out kind of what the deal was, and uh, so, yeah, we're try- just trying to get back on track here now. Now we're logged into the correct account. Yep. Uh-huh. Logged into the correct account, and ready to bring some ideas to the table once again, you know, trying to be a source of light, and not fake news, not lies, and uh, agenda pushing, axe grinding, <laughs> uh, you know, just monger, uh-huh. media monger. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. Just, but yeah, we thought that a good way of starting off the show is, uh, you know, kind of addressing this uh, podcast as our Labor Day edition, special edition. Of ANC, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, we hope you enjoy uh, our broadcast tonight, uh, Labor Day. I mean, we, we just thought that we just, just delve into it, you know, like labor, the word itself, you know. And obviously the word labor ascribes to people doing work, you know. And I just thought that, like, coming from the anarchist perspective, you know, we kind of look at it as like, where does anarchism stand on labor? You know, and do anarchists do work? Are we laborers? Are we workers? Do we work with our hands? And I came to the conclusion that I think that yes. Because, here's why I think so. Because... Freedom. Freedom is something you have to work for. You have to labor for being free. And anarchists, you know, or anarchism, it is all about being free. So it's like if you're going to be an anarchist, you better be ready to fight. You better be ready to stand up. You got to be smart. You gotta. You gotta labor. And I think this is something that we just recently mentioned on one of our podcasts. You know, you got to fight to be, there's a cost to freedom. We challenged people, you know, if they were willing to pay the price to be free or maybe just becoming more of a servant, a laboring servant uh, to others. You know, but either way, it's... Like, I feel like labor is a good thing. And that's in our culture here in America. Like, we acknowledge it labor. It really keeps the American family on track. That's a really good point, Riley. I really like that. It's like, uh, yeah, for a, a successful family to run, there has to be work being done. 
Yeah. You know, otherwise, I just don't feel like, yeah, it's like, what are you doing then if you're not working? And what are you teaching your your children? Like, I mean, to me, like, a good parent is somebody who's a hardworking person because they provide honestly for their family yeah. through labor. And see, that's why I look at, like, an anarchist society is, like, we're, we're self-sufficient. We, we're going to have to be laborers to be self-sufficient. That's another thing of anarchism. It's self-sufficiency. You know, like we've mentioned so many times, it's, like, it's the motto of anarchism. It's self-sufficiency. It, it's not allowing hierarchies to control you or to provide for you. you got to do it for yourself. you got to labor. And that's why I feel like this is, Labor Day is almost another anarchist holiday. You know, we mentioned uh, Hanukkah. Indeed. We mentioned Hanukkah as being a, an, an anarchist holiday uh, from the Jewish people. And now we have Labor Day here in America. You know, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a self-sufficient, you gotta work, you gotta provide for yourself. You gotta get out there and, you know, out on the beat, man. <laughs> Out on the street. The street beat, you know? Teach youngins what to do. Yeah, and it's like, really, like, I look at these, actually, like, something that's really cool that I actually saw is, like, these, some of these shows about living out in the wild and stuff. You know, like, I don't know exactly what it is. Um, I don't know. It's on television, though, like, uh, maybe, like, Discovery or... It's like, it was, like, right before the Bear Grylls stuff. Yeah, like, the, the Bear Grylls episodes, I think. Yeah, the Bear Grylls, where he brings the celebrities with him. Like, there was a show before that, I believe it was on the Discovery Channel, or something like that, I think it was, yeah, Discovery Channel. And, you know, they, they had these people that were living off the land, and it showed the parents who, like, they were helping their kids. Like, to be self-sufficient and to kill, you know, to, like, shoot and, like, literally live off of the, you know, in these, like, super remote areas. Maybe it was, like, Alaska or something, like, living in Alaska or something. <laughs> Is that a show, like, living in Alaska? I don't know, like, Alaskan people or, like, something? Yeah, it was a show, I think. I don't know. I like, think that was the name of it, too. Something Alaska something, I don't know, like, it was before Bear Grylls, like... The last season, uh, it was last year, uh, it was like the Bear Grylls stuff where he goes out with the celebrity people. Like, he goes out with uh, Bobby Bones, and, uh, like, that was a really cool episode. Like, Bobby Bones is actually a pretty cool guy. I think he does podcasts. But, um... Who is Bobby Bones? I don't know. He's the guy that was hanging out with Bear Grylls doing some kind of... They were, you know, living off the land. They were teaching people how to survive, which I think is great, you know? Because, like, once again, self-sufficiency. Like, you're going to have to, like, learn how to live off the land. You're not going to have to... You're going to have the luxury of necessarily having a supermarket to provide for you. You know? It's like, so where are you, how are you going to be self-sufficient? How are you going to... Are you going to grow your food? Are you going to barter food with something that you have to somebody else? Like, or what? Yeah. Are you going to go into, a, like... Back into America or something, and like into like a, a state, and like buy from their supermarket or something. Like, how are you gonna live? You know, so it's like Bear Grylls. Like he, you know, shows people how to survive. You know, in the wild. You know, his Man versus Wild series, and then he did the Celebrity series and stuff. You know, and 
teaches the celebrities, you know, like, you know, they stop being so prissy and, you know, like, <laughs> roughs them up a little bit in the wild, you know, like, <laughs> which I think is good, you know, it's, it pushes people's character buttons, you know, or they have to man up and woman up and stuff. And it's in a survival situation, you know, where... Where the ass roll. Right, yeah. But, nevertheless, it's self-sufficiency is, you know, what we're looking to do. You know, and we have to labor, like I said, to be self-sufficient. So, like, Labor Day is good. I, I, I like Labor Day. Uh-huh. I think there's a lot of... St- and just to kind of tangent a little bit here onto a, a sidewinder trail, you know holidays in America. There's a lot of stupid holidays in America. Yeah. You know, like, America is, like, way too, and it, they're way too over the top with the holidays. Like, people getting hurt at, like, Black Friday stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just, that's a little over the top to me. Yeah, it is. It is. And people's values for each other go out the window. Yeah. It's really, it's like a gold rush kind of mentality, or it's like you, everybody saw what people were really made of in the gold rush times, you know what I mean? Like, everybody's yeah. true characters came to the surface, you know, when they when they went out and tried to make it happen and find gold, strike a, a big claim, you know, or something like that. Uh-huh. You know, and it's, I think it's the same thing with the weed industry here in, here in Washington State. You know, like, it's the same kind of people, you know, same kind of thing happened, you know. Everybody, like, thought they were going to get rich growing weed, you know, when weed became legal, you know, and <laughs> that wasn't the case, man. What hasn't totally become legal yet? Well, it has being been in Washington same, State, though. Being successful doesn't mean much when it's still federally legal. I mean, not gonna do anything about it, but they're, they're not for it either. But the thing is, is this is almost an anarchist kind of move by legalizing marijuana and not being in compliance with the feds. You know, like this is, you see what I'm saying? It's like we need less oh, of yeah, their control. Yeah. So when you look at it from that perspective, like what we're doing here is a good thing in a way in that it just wasn't as, you know, what, what was the word I'm looking for? You know, it, it just wasn't as successful as people thought it was going to be. You know, it wasn't going to be, you know, that big, you know, golden pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, everybody thought. You know, but still. But it it is kind of in a way. I mean, there's a new security that this country has been that we joined the ball game and now there's an income source source derived from plants. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. I just think that the thing is, is that I think that people should just grow weed and just be willing to, like, give it to people, not, like, put a price on it. It's like selling the 
Christianity or of religion, yeah. you know, it's like, it shouldn't, and people like, I hate to say it, but people shouldn't profit off of, off of preaching the word or preaching the gospel or whatever, or any religion. Yeah. And this is what you see in like Buddhism. You see like in Buddhism, you see a very humble approach to uh, servanthood of the religion, even though I don't agree with Buddhism, like the, the way Buddhist people like practice their religion uh, is like they take alms and stuff like one of the things of like a Buddhist is like they have to go and like be a, humble themselves going door to door asking for alms from people to survive I mean it's like it's a very like self-sufficient lifestyle I have to say like a Buddhist lifestyle man if you really are a true practitioner like you see like in the east not here in America I don't think like people here are there you know like American Buddhists, like, in Western civilization, it's like, it's, it doesn't work. I mean, because Buddhism is an Eastern religion. It's not a Western, we're a Western religion, you know, like, we have our, we're our own gods here, you know what I mean? We don't practice this nonsense stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> and we only recognize one god. Well, that, see, that's the thing. And, that, and that's the thing about the Hegelian dialectic, Riley, is that here in Western civilization, we are the patriarchal... America is the patriarchal archetype of the Hegelian dialectic, whereas in the East, like, that is the matriarchal, like, Buddhism, like, that kind of, you know, way of life, you know, Shintao and... Uh, Confucianism and Taoism, you know, that's all Hinduism, you know, these like Eastern religions, you know, you know, they are like the matriarchal, I believe. They are more of the soul. They are more of the, the, the feminine uh, aspect, you know, the matriarchal side of the Hegelian dialectic. Which is actually, it was a pretty deep concept, but I mean, it's like, you know, it's like, think about America. It's like, Western civilization, it's all based off of, uh, you know, male-dominant, driven, you know, corporations, and, you know, everything is male-dominant-driven. You know, there's not much, you know, feminist, matriarchal aspects to our culture you know this is why you see the feminist rights you know movements is to try to gain more of a, a feminist control or power you know some kind of balance <laughs> but there just isn't you know unfortunately it's but in you know in the east you know you see like i mean it's a total matriarchal it's you know it's communist it's democratic you know it's uh you know socialist whatever you want to call it it's that matriarchal uh political you know this covid scares scandalous swiping our freedoms by the government well it's by an agenda that's a thing it's by this matriarchal i believe this matriarchal side this that promotes this agenda this kind of an agenda because the patriarchal side it promotes certain kinds of agendas and that's like the republican 
you know, the Republican belief system, you could say. It's the patriarchal side of the Hegelian dialectic. You know, and the Dem Democrat side is, they're the matriarchal side. You know, that's why, you know, they promote the feminist rights and, you know, women's rights and they promote stuff like they're behind, like, the Black Lives Matter because that's all, you know, equality. They want proletariat. They want everybody to be equal. Uh, that's why we have the political correctness. You know, that's why we have the, the faith. political correct. All these things are matriarchal from the matriarchal side of reality, dude. You know? Uh, or the Hegelian dialectic. However you want to Want to look One at of it. these days is gonna become cliche to be politically correct. <laughs> it very well could. <laughs> You're right. It very well could be, and that would be nice. And that's. Yeah. And I don't think, like in an anarchist society, or culture, or you know, civilization, or territory or state, whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't think you're going to be, we're not going to have no political correctness in there. So that's one thing that we've been talking about ideas of what that would look like. And I don't, I don't see political correctness. I don't see any of these ideas being tolerated in an anarchist territory that uh, I believe the left, um, the libtards or whatever you want to call them, uh, you know, any of their ideas are going to be uh, of any worth in an anarchist. Uh, <laughs> That's awful. But it really is. It's just it's just a revelation, like to me, like how things are. You know the the Hegelian dialectic, how they are so interwoven in the fabric of who we are. From our politics to our religions, uh, to our our psychology, you know, even psychology is Hegelian dialectic, you know, in in its nature as well, you know, like if you look at it from a Jungian perspective, Jung looked at it as that there's two two sides, there's you know spirit and soul, you know, the soul is the once again. The, the matriarchal side of consciousness, you know, whereas spirit is more, it's more extroverted, you know, it's, it's more like go-getter, it's, it, it's all about reason and logic and, and it's masculine, you know, like men, it's, it's crazy, where the holy comes wow, that's a, that's a very, uh, provocative statement right there Riley I like that Holy Spirit where does that fit into the we'll see that and that's where we really get into psychology the Hegelian dialectic of psychology from a Jungian perspective you have uh, soul and spirit soul is the thing that we don't understand it's it's passive in nature it's not something that is empirical and pragmatic and scientifically based you know whereas consciousness spirit is all about it's all about that. It's all about reason and rationalism, and it's something that is tangible. And you know, we we understand everything that we can perceive through our spirit, through our mind. You know, but the soul we do not. 
there's like there's that rift there's that see that's that's what young was all about he was all about like balancing the lopsidedness of reality of the two of the two sides and what but see here in the west we're totally spirit oriented that's why we have these words like spirit you know he's got spirit you know it's like of course we're just egotistical in the western civilization where in the east they're all passive and like meditative and like all about the soul and like you know in, in essence you know they're about you know that that more you know and that's where you'll see like in Taoism you'll see kind of almost magical type uh, aspects to it and in Hinduism you know it's like there's this like very magical uh, element to their holy people and stuff you know in these religions you know they're like they understand they understand the unconscious so to speak the unconscious part of our consciousness right. whereas in America we only know we only understand in Western and civilization these, we only understand like what's tangible and these Yeah, yeah. I mean, and yeah, it's it's a very deep concept, but it's it's real. You know, like it's a real uh, aspect of of our reality. In that, there's these two opposing forces that you know need to be balanced out. The worst plan if the worst plan the. The Hegelian? Hegelian dialectic or this? Well, Hegelian dialectic is simply broke down. No, we have not. Uh, I'll try to do it right now. I mean, simply put, is just basically, you know, white and black. You know, it's light and shadow. Once again, Carl Jung talked about it. It's like the light and shadow. It's the spirit and the soul. You know, it's the patriarchal and the matriarchal. It's the god and the goddess. It's the square and the compass. It's, you know... <laughs> There's so many different names for it. And then you could even get into, like, alchemical terminologies and occult terminologies, you know. Like in, you know, alchemy, you know, it's it's the metals, you know. It's the elements, you know, that it's those three elements. You know, the, the first two, and you rub the two up in a, you know, or you transmutate them in a crucible, and you get a, a synthesis, and the Hegelian dialectic is about that, once again, that black and white, or whatever you want to call it, god and goddess, you know, and it's about, you know, rubbing those two elements up together and getting, like, a synthesis. Elements fucking. Uh-huh. What's that? Elements fucking. In a sense, yeah. Uh-huh. Elements fucking up against each other. But that's what we see, like, in the mainstream media. We see the Hegelian dialectic at work. Because we see on the, the mainstream media broadcasts, we see the friction, the rubbing up of the, the matriarchal and the patriarchal, the Republican and the Democrat, the soul and the spirit. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, tr- it's trying to bridge the lopsidedness of reality, like Jung says, in the mind. The mind is constantly trying to bridge the gap, particularly here in Western civilization, because we're so egotistical. You know, we only think along the spiritual, the spirit aspect, 
the mind. We only think about what the mind can understand, you know? We don't give any thought to the soul and how the soul wants to, uh, you know, be more vocal in our conscious consciousness. And this really is essentially what occultism is all about, Freemasonry is all about. It's about the acquiring of... It's like, really, Freemasonry is just a psych, psychology fraternity. <laughs> really, that's like what it is. It's like people, like, what they're really trying to teach people is like to combine the two, the soul and the spirit together as one, as to, in a synthesis, like a Hegelian dialectic. You know, that's why you see, I believe, like Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler was huge into, like, this knowledge, you know, and, like, actually went and, like, had all the SS troops, like, go and, like, you know, to the grave of Hegel, was where we get the Hegelian dialectic, and, like, they all, like, bowed down, you know, to it at his grave, you know, to, like, pay homage to him, Hegel, because it's, like, he understood, like, you know, like, this, uh, Hitler did? Hitler did, yeah, and all the, a bunch of the SS troops. Yeah, it's like a picture of it, but it's like this is just goes to show you, like, you know, that this is how it all works. You know, this is the way it's always been. You know, it's always been like this, this battle of like different components of this Hegelian dialectic process. You know, and and really politics is really how it manifests itself the most and to our to us, to our reality, you know, I guess you could say, it's like, that's like the, the most prominent aspect of it, and that actually makes sense, in a way, because these are the people who shape our futures, so it makes sense that that Hegelian dialectic, uh, you know, aspect to reality is, you know, really, you know, a big proponent of, you know, what we what we see and stuff, you know, what we're interested in. Because you think about, like, president, like, who's running the country, that's a pretty big thing, you know? Um, well, have some rich dudes. <laughs> huh? See, we really don't even know, man. I mean, who's, who's really running things? Yeah. Is it the president? Probably not. Probably a series of government men that have been there forever and they're like 200 years old now and they run everything. And they've been doing it for some time. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, that's the thing, it's those people, those deep state people, apparently, those are the people that have been there for so many years. And they just know, they know the ropes of how things are supposed to go. And I think people, do they just trust them that they're not going to squeal? You know, the people who really are in charge. Above these people, above the government people, the corrupt politicians. You know, they know, like, they can trust these people. Because they're not going to go against the, against the image of the beast, <laughs> so to speak. Because they know if they go against the image of the beast, they get whacked. And this is where we see with, like, Kennedy, you know? 
I believe that Kennedy was somebody who like went against the image of the beast and they took him out. He's an example. But there's so many other examples of people we don't even know who are, who are about to go against the image of the beast or threatening information that the beast felt was wrong for people to know, for the masses to know that people were going to leak. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, you're going against the image of the beast. You see, the, the sad reality is here is if the, the book of Revelation be true, it says that the beast is going to have an hour of power. There's going to be a time where the beast is going to have so much power and control over the people that need God to be ready because it's going to come in the form some form or another of temptation. Hmm. It very well could, too. So you have to be confident about what you can... Well, the uh, deception, I think, is another. Yeah. Temptation, deception. Yeah. Uh, temptation, I, I actually think... A temptation of deception is what the beast is really wanting to do in the hour of power, where it's, I believe, in that hour of power, it's like marking people with the mark of the beast. You know, it's like it's controlling people to do exactly what it wants. And see, I believe this COVID-19 is like precursors to potentially this hour of power, where unfortunately, like, we're not going to have any any control over, the, over what's going on. We're not going to have any control over it. So who, and that's like what we see so right now. Who would have control of that? That's the people we really don't know. These are the people who are really making the calls, you know, I believe, and just telling people how to enforce what they want to have done, you know? <laughs> and that's what we've been seeing with the COVID 19 stuff. And it's just the thing that worries me is that, you know, they're going to get more stricter each time they implement something you know it's going to be it's going to be more severe each time you know things were pretty crazy already you know within these lockdowns and stuff like yeah. you had mentioned like no sports or like hollywood yeah. I mean, it's like some pretty extreme measures are being taken that's like 90% of america was sports and entertainment <laughs> sports now They're not making no money now. Yeah, now... This There's no money being generated off of that. It's off. And in America, just chilling because so many of us were in sports or entertainment. Yeah. So not only is your dog gone, but you don't have any other skills to get a job. Yep. Huh? Yeah, it's it's a scary uh, time, you know, and that's why we need to be open-minded, I think, to all kinds of ideas. Like, a lot of people don't want to talk about the Bible or the Book of Revelation or stuff like that, but, you know, there's something in there that could potentially be helpful for us to understand about the nature of the reality in which we live. I think we need to be open-minded to it. You know, and you know, I think just also just being willing to be self-sacrificing, I think, of 
not like killing ourselves or anything, but like being self-sacrificing of like being ready to serve, you know, and be ready to work, you know, and be ready to to take a stand too, you know, against I believe like too much tyrannical force. Yeah. Just like enforcement of things because I feel like they were really teetering on the edge with some of this stuff. You know, some of the the restrictions and laws that they were trying to implement. They're almost crossing the line almost. Yep. Uh huh. (laughs) Is the needle swings in the middle of that somewhere? (laughs) Yeah, that's true, man, I think, yeah. Yeah, I really, I don't know, man. It's, we'll see what happens. But I think that, like, a lot of this stuff is, is kind of some interesting views of how to perceive reality, you know, and seeing this, this archetypal Hegelian dialectic uh, system, way of thinking, uh, as kind of a way we can we can see more clearly like what this really is like you know p- particularly like the political side of things you know we, through the political lens we can see what they're doing it's just it's the alchemical transmutation of social science <laughs> you know at work it's like it's a social science experiment but really it's just it, it's a alchemical what transmutation really? process what or it's a psychology it's a psychology based uh, being, becoming sane explain what those big words mean like what big words well you just said one two words social science no was no no <laughs> I don't know, uh, like transmutation or yeah. No, I don't remember. <laughs> it's okay, dude. Uh, yeah, it, but really, we we see it. You know, we see this at work. The, these two sides constantly conflicting, and we're in a war ourselves. You know, we're trying to become more sane. We're trying to engage more. You know soul and spirit together you know that's really what we're trying to do ultimately down here and that's what makes us psychologically sound is like when we do this like when Carl Jung says we engage in the friction of you know trying to integrate the two sides into a synthesis you know and that's really what the government is trying to do right now they're trying to do the same thing as like what we're trying to do psychologically we're trying to balance the two sides you know, that's what we're trying to do politically, you know? But it's so, like, once again, like... So what? It's, it's not they, happening, though, unfortunately. There's no they, there's no they, synthesis taking place. It's just... The government's just forcing their own ways of their own... Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. They're forcing their own ways, Riley. That's exactly yeah. right. They're forcing... I think it's more of like not... Like imposing their ways upon us, you yeah. know, through these, 
through this, once again, it's this Hegelian dialectic of rubbing up of the two sides, and you can see it. You can see it, you know, clear as day, like, on, in the, the mainstream media outlets, you know, like, they... This, they're, that's got, really what they're doing. They're, that's really what these mainstream media you know outlets are doing is a Galian dialectic game game show. You know you got the bald anger and the brunette anger on almost every Fox News show. <laughs> Foxy nudes? Foxy nudes. They've got the bald and the brunette the bald pants. Yeah? Huh? I'd have to take a look at it. I, I don't really watch any of those. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm scanning through the channels, like, I'll, I'll look and see, like, because they're, like, right next to each other, basically, like, in the in the channel settings. So, you know, I, I, I'll i see, like, glimpses of them as I'm, like, you know, flipping through, you know, but I don't ever, like, really, look, you know, pay too much attention or anything. But I'm sure they are, like, good looking, because that's a part of their sales pitch, you know? It's like sex, you know, sex appeal. You know? So, I mean, yeah, I guess that would, you know, make sense. But I just want to stress to people that, you know, when you're watching the Fox News and the CNN, you're, you're watching the Hegelian dialectic at work because what are they doing on those shows? They're, you know, exposing all of the, the negative aspects of the other side which is friction. It's not, it's not unity. You know, this is what the Bible says, like, how, how good is it for a brethren to dwell in unity? Yeah, it's in the Bible. Like, it's a scripture, you know, and it's like, but when there is no unity, there is discord and unrest and drama and unnecessary bullshit. <laughs> not good stuff. Not good stuff at all. You know, and this is why we promote anarchism, because it's, this is just common sense. Being an anarchist, or practicing anarchism, or promoting it, is common sense. It's like, do we really want to acknowledge, you know, acknowledging this, do we really want to continue to promote it? So I think, like, actually, telling people, like, not to vote is a good thing kind of in a way. I know a lot of people disagree with me on that. You know, they think that, like, voting is good because it's like, oh, well, you're able to, like, make your voice heard for, you know, you're, you're not you're, really. People that, but you're not, in a sense, at the no. same time because it's like these people are already bought and paid for. Yeah, sure, they embody your views and it's like, they, this Hegelian dialectic knows this about you. And it's just like, and it even says, like, people, it's all like an ego, uh, stroke to the populace when they get the right to vote because it's like they their, their ego says like I support this person and I this or this side I support you know this party or whatever but really like they don't, they, they don't have any they don't have any say really the people who like vote really don't have any say in what happens within their party when they vote you know what I mean? Like, sure, you vote that person in, but it's like, who knows what that person's gonna do once they've been elected in? Yeah, 
Well, that's... It's a scam, I think. That's right, we have terms. Yeah. Because if one person doesn't do good, then it's like, try to vote people out of the, the democratic right to vote another person in. Yeah. But, see, it's just like, once again, it, it's not working. You know, I don't think it's working because all you see is just bickering. You know? And how is that positive? How is that? How are these people that refuse to get along because they have diametrically opposing points and a view, how are these people ever going to get along? <laughs> I just don't understand. They're not supposed to get along. That's why, because once again, there's a Galian dialectic at work in our, our political spectrum of things, our government. Just like there's a Galian dialectic at work inside of us. Inside our minds. We're trying to become more psych, uh, mentally sound. But I don't think we are. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I don't really think we are menta- becoming sense, more mentally sound. I think we're going more insane. Your, your head is together, darling, because you've got an angel on one shoulder and a demon on the other. Well, that's basically, well, Riley, that is nothing more than a symbol of that process at work. It's like it's the soul and the spirit at work. Because, see, the devil, like, he comes in through the soul. Like, he's, he's like a fiery dart that hits our soul. But, see, like, consciousness, our, our mind doesn't know about that. Like, it doesn't understand it. It doesn't, it doesn't see, it doesn't see the devil. But the devil's in the realm of the soul. Like he's, so he's in the ethereal. we can't see the devil's plans. Uh-uh. And he can't see what we can see. He can maybe even see into the future in his realm. In the soul sphere of things. But in our realm. Well, he can see into our realm too. But he can see in the, he can see in the both realms. See, that's a problem. He can see into the spiritual realm. And he can see into the three-dimensional realm. Does it say this in the Bible? I believe so, yeah. In no uncertain terms, yeah. Yeah, that's basically what it's saying, I believe, is that, you know, Satan's in... Well, it says he's in the air. See, this is what's crazy. You know, we talked about... Uh, just recently, uh, the Verizon model, Rule the Air. One of our previous podcasts, we were talking about technology and 5G and stuff. But Verizon says rule the air. And one of the things that we were talking about was also what the Apostle Paul says is that he says when Jesus comes back, we will all be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. But then it also says that Satan, the Apostle Paul also says this in the New Testament, he also says that Satan is the power and prince of the air. What is that all about? So you have Verizon saying air, technology saying rule the air, basically saying your cell phone is connected to the air. That's how you have access to all this information is because it's connected through the air and there's a cloud of information in the air that you know your phone can access or you know I don't know what the it's it, it's insane it's crazy. 
when you really break it down, when you really think about it. The Apostle Paul says we're going to, when Jesus comes back, the air is going to somehow be a part of connecting us to him. And then you have Satan being also called the power and prince of the air. You know, it's like, I believe these are all interconnected. They're all interconnected. As a matter of fact, I believe. And that's really, uh, I think, a, a very crazy thought, you know, that going back to the psychology uh, aspect that Satan is in the air. He's in this, this other realm that technology is utilizing to transmit signals. Like, Satan is in that same thing. Like, Verizon says, rule the air. Apostle Paul says Satan's a power and prince of the air. It's the same air. It's the same air. And that's... Same damn air, man. Same damn air. What's it you breathe? I don't know. It's basically like Verizon is speaking in scriptures. It's using scriptural terminology to promote their slogans. It's taking what the Apostle Paul said 2,000 years ago and saying, oh, we're going to use that air now. Because that's... It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know? It's the soul. The soul is connected to the air. Same it's a vital air. life force. Force. Same Star Wars. Air. Force. We have air now. Pretty sure it's the same as 2,000 it was. years it's exist- ago. It's, well, see, this is what I believe, Riley. See, in the book uh-huh. of Genesis, in the creation account of things, once again, I'm not taking a uh, scientific approach on this, uh, but... It says that, like, uh, it was like the second or third day, it said, God said, let there be light. But the thing is, is that when he said, let there be light, he didn't create the sun until, like, day, it was like day five or six or something. Or, or it's like, I don't know the days for sure, but, like, uh, of creation, but, like, each day something, he brought forth something new. Yeah. And, but basically what I'm saying is before the sun was created, God said, let there be light. What was this light that was, was created before the sun? You know, yeah. early on in the seven days of creation. I think that this light, I think that, that this light was the air, Riley. It's this, that's what I believe it was. It's the air. It's the, and basically what is the air? The air is, it's an energy force. It's the force. It's a, and like going back to Buddhism, the Buddha said everything is on fire. Because really, what he's saying is like air is like fire. It's like a uh, it's something like unexplainable, but it's like a fire. You know that it's just I don't know. It's just, it's a crazy kind of almost like electricity is like almost kind of like a fire too, in a sense like a form of uh, lightning is like a uh, is like fire you know it's like when you see the god zeus like he has a lightning bolt in his hand it's like it's a it's like a fire bolt you know it's like uh-huh. you know and that's what i really think that we're talking about here is this air is like a fire in, in a sense as well it's like what is this uh, uh, this force this ether you know that transmits these signals what is this to me it's like it's a electromagnetic fire that we little necklace down is for probably, yeah. 
You have to describe it somehow. I mean, it's because the soul, it's a soul is a fire to you. You can call the soul a fire. In alchemy, it's called a fire. It's one of the terminologies is it's like it's a fire. It's also called water. Because it's like as subtle as water. Like you don't even, you don't even notice it. You know what I mean? What a soul? Yeah. You don't even notice it. Just like you don't notice the ether. Like you don't see it, but it's there. Yeah. You know, and these cell towers are being you know, propped up, so they trans they electrify it. You know, they electrify the the air, the ether. So I mean, it's and it also come back if we're using scriptures, if we're linking these things together, like Satan is in the ether as well. Then that's is where his realm is, and that's why he can he can see you when you can't see him because he's in that other realm. And sometimes I think he can manifest himself in this realm, in the three-dimensional, too. And that's what angels can do, too, and that's what demons can do as well. Like, they can... They, they come in and out of the ether. They the air, the fire. Satan see you and you see you. I think there's some... I want to say collaboration, but there's some connection between. What did you say? Talking about Satan? Yeah, Satan knowing you and you knowing you. Well, yeah, I mean, Satan can see you. He can see what uh, we do. You know, he. When we don't think that he is watching us, you know, because he's in the air. He's in the, he's ruling the air, dude. <laughs> I mean, literally, like when Verizon says rule the air, like there's only one ruler of the air and it's Satan, dude. <laughs> Satan is the power and prince of the air, dude. Ambrose he's the ruler of the air. Verizon is just tapping into Satan's, uh, uh his realm, dude. That's basically... And Satan is giving them complete authority to do so. Like, he's saying, go ahead and use the air for your personal gain of your technology. I'm still gonna be here. You know? I'm still I'm still in the air. My dark force is still in the air. You know? It, it's in the ether. People can now refuse to admit that Satan is real because of technology say technology has validated the the belief in satan it's re it's rebirthed it <laughs> believe it or not we've just proven it to you 